Good to see everybody here tonight. Welcome those who are watching live stream. It's good to have you guys as well. Um, this, uh, this is actually the week that we are concluding uh, the Samuels, 1st and 2nd Samuel. We're going to conclude 2nd Samuel tonight, um, and we're actually going to power through two, two full chapters. Uh, now, we're going to skip around a little bit, but two chapters in 2nd Samuel, and uh, uh, there's some good stuff in there. Um, I'm excited about talking about some things, and, and some of it's just a story in general, some of it's just a narrative, much like we've had before. It's repeated, um, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a fitting way to, to close out uh, 2 Samuel tonight. Again, we're going to be taking two weeks off after this to, uh, for the, during the holiday season, during Christmas and New Year, and then we'll return um, after that with a, a, a new class on apologetics coming from the word apologia, which is a defense of, of the word of the gospel. Uh, it'll be taught by Chris Bills, and uh, he's working on his, I believe, his doctorate in divinity, and he's going to be kind of focusing in, and it should be a really wonderful class. It's, it's basically answering questions that the world tends to ask, and, and giving a, a defense and an answer for that uh, is important, because that is one way to open the door to spread the gospel to people. And so, um, it's been a busy week. It's... Uh, I'm concluding, you know, wrapping up uh, the, the school semester, which is always fun. I'm looking forward to some time off. Um, uh, it's been a busy week on the news. We, we read about these tragic storms that, that occurred in uh, Kentucky and, and some of the other areas in that region. And I just want to take a moment to pray uh, tonight uh, for that area, as well as uh, to, for just to praise the Lord for some wonderful things He's done. Uh, we've had some people with illnesses this week and uh, even placed in the hospital, and we're, we're glad to see them even here tonight. So uh, let's take a moment and, uh, and uh, open up with prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this day, Lord. We appreciate everything you've done for us, Lord, how gracious you are and how good you are and how able you are, Lord. Um, but right now we'd like to, to kind of focus our prayers, Father, on the residents uh, in Kentucky and some of the other surrounding states that were affected by these terrible storms. Uh, I can't imagine uh, something that would happen that quickly. Here we prepare for things for, you know, a couple weeks if a hurricane's coming, but this just happened overnight and probably within a matter of minutes. There was complete destruction. Lord, and I just, uh, it shows the power and immensity, Father, but at the same time, it's, we, we just want to lift these people up that have lost their lives or are in the hospital or quite frankly, have nothing left. Um, be with them, comfort them, Lord. Perhaps this would be a time where your name would be glorified, and perhaps even some people would come to know you through this crisis, Father. Uh, the, we again pray for all the, the people that are supporting them, who are coming in from different states, Lord, that, um, that these people will minister to those in need, Father, and that you'll be with them. Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you for, um, for answered prayer, for for some people that have had some illnesses, Lord, that are going through some trials, Lord. Uh, we continue to pray for those who are still going through trials, but Lord, we, we know that we want to always pray, uh, Lord, for healing, Father, and, uh, but ultimately we want your will to be done, Lord, in people's lives. Lord, be with us tonight as we study your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight to study your word and the fact that you have made your word available to us, Lord. And these things we pray, amen. And so... Tonight is, uh, sometimes when I do a study, I prepare, uh, 
you know, a week in advance, a day in advance, I mean, all, all those things. Yes, a week in advance, and I continue to prepare and refine and go through the passage and go through and get a good understanding of what's happening. Um, it's something Pastor Greg has taught me to do is to, to first read the text and then read it again and then make sure everything is clear and you understand what's going on contextually and then uh, dig into some, uh, see what some scholars say um, and make sure everything is aligned uh, so that we're, we're making sure that we say what the Word says, not what we want the Word to say. But as I take the afternoons before I teach, uh, sometimes I, I just kind of ruminate on some things that, are, that happen during the day or I think about other things that are uh, going on just to prepare and pray, always saturate this with prayer and pray the Holy Spirit uses me as just a tool. It's the Word of God and then how the Holy Spirit uh, enlightens us when we look at it, when we read it, and also how, you're, how you receive it. Those are, it's, a, it's this two-way thing that's going on. But uh, today my heart was a bit heavy this morning. I got a phone call um, from someone that uh, was, has a friend, and this friend was, looking at a, uh, was reading a book, and the book was simply uh, written from a Christian perspective, but it was affirming a lifestyle that was clear, clear in the Bible that is, is, is not, in fact, is unnatural, and it's um, heretical, and uh, it's a sin, and um, it's just this the person I talked to was very confused as to what to say, how to go about you know, ministering to this person who's reading a book from a so-called pastor that is wanting to embrace and affirm other religions as just like Christianity and this book bestseller coming out. And while some of the things in the book were true about loving those who are in different sins, uh, it just burdened me when I was reading some things about, because um, I always like to go to the source, like, okay, this person who wrote the book, you know, it just gave me a very heavy heart. So I was trying to figure out, and so I read a couple of things that just kind of rattled me a little bit. And these are just little stories and, and uh, articles that this particular pastor had written. If you want to, I'm not going to call him a pastor, maybe a teacher. Um, but this is an article he wrote about uh, why, why Christ died on the cross. And here's one thing that was said. It says, uh, at, before he was a pastor or a teacher, he was a, a worship minister for 10, 15 years. He says, I love singing about the cross, meditating on the blood, and inviting people to give thanks for a God who loved us enough to sacrifice his own child on our behalf. But now I see things differently. The story of a God separate from us because of our sin who requires a blood sacrifice in order to be appeased no longer resonates with me. I mean, in fact, it kind of mortifies me. Wow, that just kind of shows you uh, just... You know, when you see a book come out that is, becomes popular and it's trying to affirm a certain way of progressive Christianity, you kind of have to go back and see, well, what does this guy really believe? Because that, you know, that, that, that's a huge, makes a huge difference. Another thing he wrote here, and this was talking about, and this is, I'm tying this into the Bible, just bear with me. But of the Bible, he has another article that says, I think it's an incredible, inspired, sacred collection of books, letters, poems, and stories. But I do wish that some Christians would relax a little bit in terms of just how important slash central they believe the Bible to be. I just, I, I, I see that and I just, it breaks my heart because there is a huge uh, tide moving of evangelicals that are, they call themselves progress, progressive Christians and they affirm 
lifestyles. They affirm uh, different other religions to be, you know, everyone's okay. And it's just, it's becoming very blatant and very obvious. And I believe that there's a remnant left. And it just disheartens me to see that. But then again, just by random chance, I was watching YouTube this afternoon just to decompress a little bit. And Steve Lawson, who's a fantastic teacher, comes up in my feed and he begins talking about the Psalms. And this was just on a video that was talking about why expository preaching and teaching is necessary. And so of the Psalms, I just, I, I just Deborah, as we were leaving, it was probably five minutes till we were leaving. I'm just like, wait a minute, I can write this stuff down. So I'm listening to the video. But here's Steve Lawson on the Psalms. He says, the Psalms, and I'm, I'm tying this in because the Psalms were primarily written, or a lot of it was written by King David, right? He says, the Psalms are an encounter with the glory of God. He said, the Psalms elevate your worship of God. He said, the Psalms elevated his view of who God is. He said, it's a vertical book. It points upward to God. Majesty, tra majesty transcendence, holiness, sovereignty, grace are all the things that are found out about God in the Psalms. Uh, and then in addition, he said, literary devices are amazing. It allows us to see analogies as the deer pants for the water. And he is my, sh my shepherd, the good shepherd. And so here's Steve Lawson talking about the Bible, the Word of God, that this other progressive, quote-unquote, evangelical preacher is dismissing and saying, ah, you know, that we can get along without the Bible. There's people for thousands of years that didn't have the Bible. And just because the Bible was canonized a certain time ago, then we don't quite really need it. And so I just want to say all that to say I'm grateful for a church that is founded and believes the Word of God and uses it in the preaching and the teaching and is unapologetic about it for everything that it says from, from beginning to end. And so I just, I don't know where that came from, but that was just something that was on my mind. I just wanted to get that out to you that uh, we have to sort of be on guard. I'm not bashing the guy. I'm just, in fact, I was kind of just praying for the, for the man because he's leading so many people astray. And perhaps God is allowing Satan to use this to do something. I don't know what. But these are the, this is the battlefield. These are the people we're going to be up against. So perhaps this apologetics class that's coming up might be a really good thing because you're going to begin to see this isn't, apologetics isn't necessarily just to battle what the world says anymore. It's to battle what the church says anymore. Do you understand? And, and, and so that's kind of what we need to really make sure we're holding the line carefully and firmly because it might feel like we're just like out in left field, but I can assure you that uh, this will be needed and to be able to defend the gospel and defend the truth even within the church. And so I think it's, uh, I'm excited about the class that's coming up. So anyway, um, with all that said, uh, let's go ahead and begin. We're going to dive into uh, the word, but, I, but before we do that, I, I have a neat book here and I'm going to read the whole thing to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a Christmas story. Um, I like to, uh, I'm, I'm a guy that loves context. This is called um, Jensen's Survey, Jensen's Survey of the Old Testament. And it's a neat, it's, it's just a neat, it, it kind of gives you an overview of the timeline and what happens. And that way, when you're looking at something, you can go, gosh, they're referring to Job, but actually, you know, Job was the very first book written ever, you know, I didn't know that. But so it kind of goes through and gives you some facts. But here's just a really neat synopsis of King David. And we're just at the end here of, of, of 2 Samuel, and we're getting ready to go into the Kings. And I just want you to listen to, because one of the things we've learned about from King David and for King David <laughs> is that 
he was constantly, and I talked about this last week, or maybe it was the week before, he was constantly vacillating between the Spirit of God in control and his own flesh and spirit being in control, right? And so these are just some examples. I don't, I'm not going to read the text that it comes from, but I'll just, when God's Spirit was in control, David had, David had his men's devotion and women's devotion. Uh, when selfishness desires were in control, David failed to restrain Joab and his own family. We go over to the left side again. When God's Spirit was in control, he cared for the helpless. When he wasn't, he was brutal with captives. When he was, he confessed his own sins, Psalm 51, and his enemy's nobility. When he wasn't, he would not admit error and repudiated former pardons. When he was in the Spirit, his piety was shameless. And when he wasn't in the Spirit, he practiced deception. And these, are, these give all references to this. So it's neat to kind of go, I'm not going to do it tonight, but to go back and see these different examples as a contrast. When God's Spirit was in control, his faith, faith, faith was radiant. When selfish desires were in control, his sin was heinous. And so just an interesting thing as we begin to wrap this up, and I kind of thought we were done with God's judgments, but 2 Samuel, spoiler alert, ends with another judgment. And so we'll kind of go through that again. But before, let's turn to um, 2 Samuel chapter 23. And what I'd like to do is just kind of go verse by verse. And we're going to first start out tonight with 2 Samuel 23, but we're only going to go up to verse 7. Because from 8 on is simply a description of David's mighty men. Now, I could probably find, I'm sure Pastor Greg could find some kind of unique topical ser or sermon to preach on David's mighty men. And I'm sure there's something in there, but for the, for the most part, it's one of those begats. And so it's a story, you can read that on your own time, uh, about David's, his individual mighty men. It's a recap of all through the battles who his mighty men were. So we're not going to really talk about that. We're only going to focus on this very first part, verses 1 through 7, which are the last words of David. Now, they're not his last verbal words. They're his last written words, his last poem, so to speak, or his last song, okay? So it's very fitting how beautiful this is. But uh, let's just kind of dig into it a little bit and see what it says. So let's start at verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. And again, those are written words. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So there's several things right there that we can kind of look at. Number one, he was uh, an oracle. He was a mouthpiece for God. So this is describing uh, who David was and before we get into his, his last psalm here. So it's kind of a descriptor, like here, here's the author and here's what he's done. So he's an oracle. He is clearly um, uh, filled with the Spirit and what he says comes from the Spirit. So he's an oracle, a mouthpiece for the Lord. The, obviously the son of Jesse, oracle of the man who was raised on high. The anointed, there again is the second thing. He is anointed, which we can go back to 1 Samuel on that, but he's anointed of the God of Jacob, and he is the sweet psalmist of Israel. So there's just sort of a, an introduction, so to speak, of who David is uh, by, the, by the author of this book. So as we continue along, this is where... Uh, David begins speaking. So he starts out by saying, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. So this is David affirming that he is, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking through him. His word is on my tongue. So this is both in writing as David wrote and as David spoke. He was 
uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he, he was a, a mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit. And we know that all Scripture is anointed uh, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this is David clearly talking about this. And then he says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel, who is God's, has said to me. Now, here's where he is saying this is what the Lord has said to him. So if you pick it, pick it up in verse, uh, just at the end of three there, he said, this is, let me back up one second. The God of Israel has spoken. The, Lord of, the rock of Israel said to me, okay, here we go. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun sh- shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes grass to sprout the earth. Now, I'll just kind of pause right there. That's a descriptor of, a, of a, a good, a ruling king that is anointed of the Lord that is in God's favor. That's just kind of a contrast, because you'll see a contrast with that at the end of this thing. So there's, there, that's David speaking, or the Lord speaking of who a righteous leader is. So then we continue on, and it says, For God does... For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. So in, this, in that little verse right there, in chapter or verse 5, basically what, what David is saying is, if it wasn't for the Lord, if it was up to my own strength, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. Uh, and if it wasn't for me, what, just what the covenant that was given, which is the Davidic covenant, is, in fact, he says it right here at the end of uh, verse 5. For he, the Lord, has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. That is the Davidic covenant that he's describing there. So this is the very last song of David. And in this, he's describing through the words of the Lord what a, what a, what a purposeful, godly ruler is. And then he talks about his own ruling and the covenant that was given to him, which is the promise of the Messiah to come from his Davidic line. And then we move into, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? And so he's he, basically what there, he's just kind of summing, summing that up, that the Lord will, through the Davidic covenant, cause his lineage to go further. And he is affirming his, his leader as king. In verse 6, it says, here's the contrast part to um, the, the verse, verse 3 and 4. He says, but worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. And these are, when he used the words, the worthless, I believe the Greek is uh, Belial, I believe it is. But that means the enemies of God, the, those who are not following the Lord. Uh, so worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. So the contrast there are the wicked leaders who will ultimately be slain by the Messiah who is going to come from the Davidic line. So in this one little song he wrote, this last little poem, there's quite a bit in there. So just kind of describing that, um, it's, again, more of kind of a, you know, uh, well, it is what it is. It's his, his last song, his last, his last poem. And he's talking about the fact that he is an oracle of God. He is filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. What's described here is a, a, a godly leader, the Davidic line, and then an ungodly leader and what will happen to them. So it's kind of just a, a summary there uh, that we find in that particular chapter. Uh, and then from the next 
few verses on. These are the David's mighty men. We're not really going to get into that, but I just wanted to touch on the last words of David um, because I think it was it's interesting. In fact, I don't know if I have this written in here, but Psalm. Let me just see if I have this. No, let's go ahead and move forward. So that's that's kind of really all I wanted to talk about with that. There's nothing. I'm not going to give you any sort of a. Uh, a application from that other than just to tell you what it is and what that was describing. So um, let's move forward to chapter 24. And this might actually be a relatively short evening, but I just wanted to uh, touch on that and then actually get into chapter 24 here. So 24 is a little confusing at best if you start to read it because you're like, what is going on here? So um, that's, again, one of these things where, uh, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Kind of a common theme. <laughs> and what this is, is it's, uh, it's, 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 the, it's not just God being angry at nothing. You know, a lot of people think, well, the God of the Old Testament, just wrath, wrath, wrath all the time. He had a very good reason for why he would judge Israel, why he would uh, discipline Israel to refine them, to refine the King, King David and himself and all the other ones. And he's still doing that to this day. We've talked about that a few weeks ago uh, when, we, when we read through Hebrews. But, but let's look at verse, verse 1 again uh, and then kind of answer some questions that go along here. So again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them saying, Go number Israel and Judah. Well, that seems weird. Wait, what? He was angry, but he's the one that said, well, put a, put a pin in that. Hold your place. Let's jump to 1 Chronicles. So go forward a little bit through after the Kings and to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. So we can get a little bit of clarity on what's going on here. First Chronicles 21, and we'll start obviously in verse 1. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Well, that's strange. It's certainly, the other one kind of sounded like the Lord. Well, here's what's going on. We know from the book of Job in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that all things are orchestrated for the purposes of the Lord. God can use Satan. God can use wicked men as his agents to affirm and, and, and have the purposes of the Lord completed. And so what's going on here is very similar to Job, although it wasn't Satan that came and approached the Lord with the host of angels. This is simply, Dave, or this is simply God allowing using, I would say, Satan to tempt David, right, to do this census, which was a sin. Well, that's well, a census. That's a, not a sin, is it? Moses did one. Well, let's kind of go back. So just to give you an understanding, in, in, in 2 Chronicles here, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it's nearly a mirror image of the story in, in 2 Samuel. There are some clarifications that occur in here, which I think are interesting, but th that's just to give you some understanding of what's going on there. Because uh, I, when I first read it, I'm like, wait a minute, God is angry, but he's angry at something he told David to do, and that didn't make sense. But what's occurring here 
is that God is refining David by allowing David to be tempted to do something that will ultimately refine David. Does that, that make sense? A little bit? Okay. So let's continue on now that we kind of know what the, who the players are in this, right? Um, so a census, before I go any further, uh, traditionally taken in this context for military purposes. And so what's happening is why this is not just a, a census like we're used to, this was something where, um, you know, and I looked at some commentaries and what different scholars said, and the, the, most, the most unified thinking of this is that it was a, an issue of pride that David was wanting to uh, bolster and see what his military units were throughout the region. And somehow doing that, only the Lord knows, perhaps was simply taking away David's reliance on the Lord. So if someone goes, hey, I've got an army of nearly, you know, 600,000 or whatever the numbers were, um, then I'm good. But I think even, again, and I don't know exactly when this particular event occurred, obviously towards the end of David's life, but it was a pride issue that David was simply trying to gain just a sense of worth or a sense of um, pride, so to speak, from having his army rather than, again, relying on the Lord. It's weird to think that David has gone through his entire life just constantly having to be reminded, reminded, but hopefully some of these events occurred less, but nonetheless, this is the last chapter, but we don't know exactly when this occurred. So anyway, so that's where the census is. So let's kind of just pick it up at verse one again, and we'll continue on. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to, from Dan to Beersheba, which typically meant all of Israel. When someone said Dan to Beersheba, that was like, you know, from till kingdom come, that was like from Jacksonville to Key West. Okay. And number the people that I may know the number of people. So first alert right there is Joab is with them. And Joab, as we continue on, but Joab, verse 3, said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king still see it. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? I.e., Joab's going, eh, not a good idea. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you just can't rely on the Lord for this? Are you sure? Something was amiss, and Joab knew that. And so he was trying to go, hey, just, just checking on you here. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> so we'll continue on. But the king's word prevailed against Joab. David got his way. And the commanders of the army, uh, and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders uh, went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan. Let's continue on through this so we can finish up right at eight there. Uh, they crossed the Jordan and began from Error and to the city and from the city that is in the middle of the valley, toward Gad and on to Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and Kadesh, the land of the Hittites, and they came to Dan. And from Dan, they went around to Sidon. They came to the fortress of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites. And they went out to the Negeb at Judah, of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And I'm thinking, as we, as we continue on in this passage, we're going to find, obviously, that there's, it's, it seems, it's, it's cyclical. It happens a lot. David's angry. Or, sorry, the Lord is angry. 
David figures out why. David repents. There's a sacrifice and everything's fine. But you'd wonder why during that nine months and however, however many days, you would think somewhere in there that David would go, maybe that wasn't, maybe it would realize at some point something is amiss, something I shouldn't have done. But nonetheless, the entire census was taken after a nine-month period. And so let's move forward here. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. And when, I, when it says people, again, I want you to think military men. Military, that's generally what they're talking about here. Um, in Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. Well, it says it right there. And the men of Judah were 500,000. So there's, there's your census of the fighting men. Hmm. And then we moved into verse 10. Here's David. I feel like David says this a lot, but it, let me pause right there. <laughs> I think if there's anything I've learned from these passages and these texts is that we're all going to be okay because I feel like sometimes we, we will sin, we'll repent, we'll do something, we'll be okay, and then we'll have a day where we're like, oh, man, I, just, I blew it that day. I can't believe that, you know, I can't believe I did that again, or I, I said that again, or I, I thought these things, and then, and then but it, if we look back at the Word of God, especially the life of David, we realize that uh, as David was refined as king, he made some of the same mistakes. He, was, he had the same battle with flesh and spirit that occurred. Now, again, we've talked about this, that hopefully those battles become less and less, that we become more like Christ as he as he sanctifies us in that walk. But it's just interesting to see that um, some of these patterns um, that are demonstrated here for us are, very, are good teaching moments because, yes, we're all going to continue to sin until the day we die, but watching David's repentance and what he does are good lessons for us on how to go about things because sometimes people can brush something under the rug, but I think it's important to watch what he does here, which he's done before in many texts. So verse 10, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So basically, David is coming to the moment where he, he realizes what he's done out of pride, whatever the exact sin was that the Lord uh, had put on him, and he, 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 he's brokenhearted over it to the point where he's asking the Lord, please forgive this sin. Please forgive my iniquity, right? So there's the first step in that. He realizes it a little too late, in my opinion. After nine months, he didn't put a pause to anything, but he asked for, he, he's brokenhearted for it. His heart is broken. He begins to think about it. He, he, and genuinely, we know David had a contrite heart all throughout these texts, but so he genuinely says, please take, I've, asked, I've acted foolishly. So verse 11, and when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go then, or excuse me, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you, choose one of them that I may do it. Now that's kind of interesting because there's a choice been given this time. Before it was just, here's your famine, 
you know, or here's, here's the, the destruction of your crops. But here's an interesting uh, choice that's been given. So let's, let's look at this a little closer. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee for three months before your foes, excuse me, or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in the land? Now, which one would you pick? <laughs> I mean, here's, here's, well, let's continue on. <laughs> I have something to say about that. Now consider and decide what I answer, to what answer I shall return to him who sent me. That is the Lord. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. That's interesting, because David is a man that has been pursued by men. Uh, through With Saul, all the other people that have betrayed him, he's had a history of that. I mean, I don't know how many of you have been burned by other people or been, been, had, had people have had their backs turned on you or they've stabbed you in the back or you've thought that they were with you and they, they weren't or they betrayed you in some way. But here David's saying, give me the forces of nature any day over the forces of man. I've had enough of that. I know what man can do. They'll kill me or worse. Um, so, right, so there David is immediately saying, I'll take the pestilence. Give me that any day. So the Lord sent, so here, okay, the Lord sent pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people. Let me just pause right there. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? about the angel orchestrating the destruction. I, I mean, there's been some interesting books about, you know, the spiritual realms and what's occurring, the battles that are occurring. But I think it's a very interesting picture as to what was going on. The angel and this, uh, with a sword in hand, just laying waste to people, the men, the sheep of Israel. Just an interesting thing. And here's what the Lord said, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, referring to the people of Israel. Interesting that he calls them that. What have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. I often wonder if, you know, when our children are sick or loved ones are sick, it's almost like, let me take on that. Let me, let me take on that sickness. Let me take on that illness. And David here is seeming to show his, his true shepherding of the people, of the nation of Israel, his true heart. He was a king. He was a mighty warrior, but he had a, he had a towards the end of his life, I think he was just he had a nature about him that was very fatherly. And here he's saying, I'm, I'm, there's no, there's no, con, there's, some people would like to take this passage and kind of tie it into Christ and the sheep and what Christ did on the cross. But there's, there's some parallels, but it's not really something that this is talking about. Okay. I don't want to pull that out of there. But just 
the, the heart of David to actually say, I've done this. This is my doing. Why are, let me take this. Don't punish the sheep. This is all on me. Um, and by that time, the Lord had ceased things, so things were stopped. But it was interesting that the Lord allowed him to say these things. Um, so it says, please, again, let, let, let your hand be against me and my father's house. So verse 18, and Gad came to, excuse me, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, and this is from the word of the Lord, go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went and Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground, as most all people would. And Arana said, "Why has my lord the king come to this come to his servant?" And David says, "To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people." Now at this point, the plague had been averted; it was it was done. Um, but David is continuing on. There has to be some sort of atonement, some sort of sacrifice, because the, the word of the Lord came from Gad, and this is what he said to do. So, uh, verse 22 says, Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and, and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord God accept you. Now, it's interesting here that David's response to this, because, in fact, yeah, and Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. So at this point, Aruna is simply saying, Take what you need to sacrifice to the Lord. You can have this, you can have the oxen, you can have everything you need to. Uh, but what David does here is kind of interesting, and, and there's a lesson in here. And David says, if we kind of continue on, verse 24, But the king said to Arana, No, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I mean, do, do our sacrifices and our offerings cost us anything? When we, when we give, when we... Um, I, I think there's got to be... What's the word I'm looking for? When we give to the Lord, there, it, it, it shouldn't just be cheap. It shouldn't just be... It should, it should maybe, maybe hurt a little bit or it maybe should at least be valid or uh, should cost us something rather than just, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. I, I, just, I just know that looking in the, at, at this text here, um, David didn't want just a, a freebie, something given. It had to be earned. It had to be bought um, to, to be honorable for the Lord. And that's, uh, there's, a, there's a lesson in there. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord 
and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was completely averted from Israel. It was done. It was finished. Um, what a weird way to end, you know, Second Samuel. We're just now toward the end of David's life. And here the chapter is ending of Samuel. Now it continues on and when we pick it up in the Kings about the transition and who's going to be next. But but just an interesting narrative here that seems to have occurred many, many times. So we have here uh, the sin of David, David repenting. But if you notice that as we backed up to the point at which David uh, David finally, he, after, even after the, the, the census was taken, David was repentant, he was contrite, but the, the, the consequences of sin continued. And I think that, I, it, well, it's evident here in the text that sometimes sin does have consequences, and it may continue even after someone has a contrite heart, or even after... Uh, you know, justice has been done or a, an atonement or something has been done, but like it, there are consequences to sin. And I think it shows here that it continues on. Um, praise God that we're under, again, the new covenant that we have, uh, that God, as Pastor Greg preached a couple weeks back, that we are counted righteous in His sight. Um, we're not perfect vessels, but it's uh, it's comforting to know that the ultimate sacrifice has been paid for us. Um, interesting. Contextually here at the end of the chapter, if we go back, where, the, where this occurred, the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite, where this offering was made, where this sacrifice was made, is the very site that Solomon's temple would be built on. So that's kind of a unique uh, part, unique ending and segue into the next chapter. Um, interesting. So, again, we kind of wrapped up 23. You can certainly read David's Mighty Men. Um, this is a particular chapter and a particular story that, in, in verse in chapter 24 here, that seems to be repeated. Uh, I, it's like I, I want to draw something out of here, dramatic for you, but I just don't really have anything. All other than, wow, the life of David was such was so open and honest in this text, and he was a human being. He was anointed by the Lord, but at the same time, he still had that flesh and spirit battle going on. Uh, I don't know how many of you this last week, some of you weren't here last week, but were able to this week to pull your foot off the gas a little bit, giving praise to the Lord for everything that's in your life, for the good, for the bad. Uh, we talked about that last week. Um, I believe that David, through all of his Psalms and everything he wrote, had that open, uh, transparent, beautiful relationship with the Lord, praising Him in times of good, praising Him in times of bad. Uh, his heart was amazing here. And, and I would encourage you guys to, as we, as we know all that happened in this narrative of His life, that you, that you go through the Psalms and as you read the Psalms, come back and, and use some cross-reference to see what He did during certain times and when He was hiding from Saul or when He was going through things. It talks about, he, he writes about those things, and it, and it shows his relationship and giving the glory to God and, and being genuine and transparent with the Lord. And I just think that uh, David's life is um, just interesting in that regard. Um, 
I think that's it for tonight. I, I don't want to try to wring something out of here that's not here. I just think it's a fitting closure that the place that David finally gave his, this last sacrifice that was recorded will be the site of Solomon's temple, which we're going to be seeing coming up in, uh, when we get back into the kings. Um, I would encourage everyone to, uh, to, to come for some of the, if not all of the apologetics classes, uh, kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, I, I, I think that we're going to have to maybe in the next few years be defending the truth and the Bible to the church in a way. And I think just kind of, that just been, that's what was on my heart. This, I studied all week on this and I, it is what it is, but I, I just feel like um, I, I, I thank you guys for coming, you know, to Bible study, to study the Bible, you know, each week. Um, stay in the Word, stay strong, keep your foot off the gas, enjoy the season, praise the Lord for everything you do. And uh, we, we're, we're grateful for the life of David and what he's taught us in these things. So let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you again for your Word. We thank you even for the narratives that simply describe um, who you are and how you disciplined and how you refined people. Lord, we thank you for the narrative that describes how David was contrite and how he realized that his flesh was taking over in the moments that he realized he was not walking in the Spirit. Lord, let us remember those things and let us recognize, Lord, the times when we might be under discipline, Lord, the times that we do sin, that we need to come to you, Lord, with a and confess our sins with a contrite heart so that we might be have an open relationship with you. Lord, even though we are considered righteous, Father, we do need to make sure that we are have a, have a clear, clear, clean slate each day with you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done, Lord. I again ask for your, your, your providence, your hand to be of those, over those who are uh, suffering with um, the storm damage, Father. Um, just thank you uh, for, for anything you might do uh, in, that, in those situations, Lord, that would bring glory to your name. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you uh, for the people that are here. Take, uh, encourage them to get, drive them home safely, Father, and bring them back to us uh, that we may gather together to worship your name this coming weekend. In your name we pray. Amen.